I get quite nostalgic around this time of year, like I think a lot of people do, but I wonder what what's your earliest Christmas memory? What is the thing that you can remember first that kind of sticks out um, in, in your memory? I wonder like was it around a kind of longed for presence that you've actually got or that you didn't got and you still feel a little bit bitter about <laughs> Maybe it was when like something particularly funny happened with Christmas lunch. I remember one time our dog ended up on, after we all left the table, ended up on the table and we came down the stairs and she was standing on the table having an absolute field day picking up all the crumbs. So she managed to survive quite a few years after that. Maybe it was the magic of a white Christmas or a white night of December. I have two very distinct Christmas memories that stick out in my memory. I think it's probably because I am told about them so often. Um, the first was playing, this is my, my uh, big debut, playing Star Wars of Mary in my preschool nativity. I took my character acting very seriously. I was actually brought in at the last minute because the original Mary got sick, and then, which is my mum and I stepped up to the plate. Um, I apparently refused to allow my mother to take pictures of me throughout the entire thing. I also let her look at me, I don't know what's wrong with me. I didn't smile at all the whole way through. Every picture that she did manage to sneak is immediately very grumpy. Um, but in, on reflection, I'm like, I think that's actually quite an accurate portrayal of Mary in that particular condition. So I feel like I was just really going for something that's very true um, and had a lot of integrity to it, which is how I like to approach all of my acting. Um, the other one isn't actually from Christmas, it's from just after Christmas, but it is related. I remember as a very small child being in the supermarket in my town and seeing a rather rotund man with a white beard and a brown wool suit. And I don't know why the brown wool suit sticks out in my memory as much as it does, but it is as clear as you are sitting here. And he was in the supermarket and he was buying milk. And as I peered around the corner, I could not believe my eyes that I was seeing the actual Santa buying milk in my town and I mean I went into school the next day I'm pretty sure I asked if I could make an announcement to the class and told everybody in no uncertain terms that Santa Claus was still in our town. He had not got back to the North Pole yet and he was there but he buys milk and super value on Tuesday afternoon. Um, in my defense it was the same supermarket that I had gone to that Christmas to see Santa so I think it is fairly possible uh, I think to a picture of me with Santa and my grandfather. So now that we've got all the cute factors out of the way, why did I say that? Well, Christmas time is a season when, whether we like it or not, we end up kind of reliving things. We move to the Irish place. We remember things from childhood. We talk about them and we share the stories. Just like Janet did this morning, you know, we relive live this Christmas story that we tell throughout December. We relive it again. Here we have our little traditions that we hold so dearly to us. Some of those things bring us joy and, and peace in the midst of our busy lives, and some of them bring us pain and hurt as we relive disappointments. Um, finding that the, the shimmer and the gloss of Christmas isn't quite able to mask the reality of how we feel. Here's another question for you What's your hardest Christmas memory? It's not such a cheery question, that one. And it's not always something we want to think about, is it? So we understand that I don't want you to go down any rabbit holes this morning that are unhelpful for you. But it's often those things that we have blocked from our memory. Maybe it was the first Christmas of ice 
whether because of a divorce or a breakup or death. Maybe it was the Christmas when there were big arguments with some people in your family that just has never quite recovered from. Maybe it was Christmas that you got a diagnosis or Christmas that your mental health took a little time. For me, when I think on the first Christmas that we had without my dad, who died when I was 19, honestly, I can barely remember it. The details are so easy. Yes, it was 15 years ago, but I think, did we have a tree? I thought we didn't. My mum thinks we did. I'm not really sure. We must have eaten, I assume, or was it a proper Christmas dinner? I have no idea. Did we do presents? Maybe? Something? The thing that does remain from it was that it felt very small, very quiet, very sad, very cold. Not literally, but an internal coldness, like the warmth of the season, couldn't quite penetrate the reality shy away from those memories because they are the ones that we want to pull the curtain on, we don't want to see them. They jar against the kind of jingling songs of the bright lights and the festive cheer. They are treated like the things that spoil the party. Maybe that's what you're thinking right now, you're like, ah, oh, that one a sad one. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to depress you this morning, but the reality is that the world and its people are a whole mix joy and our sorrow, all put together, nearly all of the time. And there will be many people for whom Christmas is not straightforward, maybe not even enjoyable at all. And they just have to find a way to somehow get through it. And I think it's really important that we talk about this here in church at Christmas, because we know that there is more to this story than just the stuff we can put on a Christmas card. We know that the prevailing message of this story, or what it means for our lives that Jesus came into this world, it has never been about just getting through. Jesus didn't come and embrace life in all its fullness so that we could just get nor is it about some kind of glossed happiness, the kind of, you know, Christians have to be happy all the time sort of mentality, because many of us know that's just not true. Jesus came and inhabited all parts of our human existence, the joys and the sorrows, the mundane and the ordinary, to transform them and to be the one from whom our human lives can now be lived. That is the incarnation. Does that mean that every Christmas then should be happy? No, that is precisely not my point. The point is this. To every part of our lives, the incarnated Jesus brings us himself. Jesus brings us himself in joyful times. Jesus brings us himself in our suffering. Like Zach quoted from Jeremiah Hopkins last week, Christ plays in 10,000 places. The passage that Katrina mentioned earlier is one of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And when you think about things that might be prophesied about the Messiah who is coming to save and restore Israel, 
I don't know about you, but this is not the one that I would make that big a deal out of. You know, you would go to like the mighty and strong ones, wouldn't you? Because that's what they were looking for. They were looking for a mighty and strong leader. You wouldn't really go to the ones that were about the suffering and rejected one, the one who was despised. Those are not words we want to associate with our mighty and strong saviour who is to come, right? Yet this one really matters. It matters deeply. It matters that we have a saviour who suffered and who knew pain and who knew rejection and whose life wasn't straightforward, who was disappointed and hurt by people. The full humanity of Jesus means that he knew the full weight of hardship and sorrow as well as joy and delight. He felt it, he didn't avoid it because he knew, like we know, that we had pain in this life is futile. None of us have ever been able to manage that. This kind of incarnation, this incarnation into a life of joy and of suffering, means then that our lives of joy and suffering can find a home, a companion, and eventually a hope in Jesus. So three very simple thoughts this morning on what I think we find when we look to this Jesus in the midst of a Christmas that make a whole mix of things this year. Firstly, Jesus knows. Second, Jesus holds. And thirdly, Jesus heals. Firstly, Jesus knows. Verse 3 of that passage says he was a man of sorrows, familiar with pain. I actually preached on this passage a few years ago, so I'm kind of about to repeat myself a little bit. There are so many descriptors of Jesus in the Bible, right? We could read them off uh, one after one. So many phrases that describe him, many names that he has. This one I find really interesting because I firmly believe that Jesus was the most joyful man that ever walked this earth. And yet he is also called a man of soul. And I don't think it's because he knew we were back and forth between extreme emotions. I believe it's because Jesus identified himself fully with every human emotion, rendering value to them. Anger, fear, worry, joy, awe, excitement, sadness. So that he could redeem every human emotion and be found in every human emotion. So that when we would come to him in the midst of these emotions, we, his beloved ones, would know that he knows. Would know that we are understood fully, not just humored or pitied. One of the greatest privileges of my job here is to run a reading course And let me tell you, whenever you, many of you, I'm sure, will know this, when you're grieving, there is nothing worse than being with somebody who just doesn't get it, who says the terrible thing that they mean with very well intentioned, like, isn't it any better yet? Or, oh, God just wanted them for himself. Or, they're in a better place. Or, I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to upset you. And we have all said all of those things, and they've all been said to us. On the flip side, 
there is a strange sort of belief that comes from talking to people who know what it feels like, who have experienced something similar. And that's something that's part of what we experience together during the bereavement journey is a room full of people who get, who know what it feels like, a room where you can say the thing. A room where you can laugh and you can cry at this horrible new club that you appear to have joined without ever wanting to. I believe that Jesus knows. I believe that Jesus gets it. He knows as Jesus fully human and even more powerfully, he knows as Jesus fully God so that we might have a place where we can go and be known in our sorrow and in our pain. Secondly, Jesus holds. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. There's a couple of places, lots of places actually in the New Testament, where it talks about us sharing in Christ's suffering so that we may share in his eventual glory. And if you want to look up some of those, you can find them in Romans 8 and in 1 Peter 4. And those kind of verses are perfectly acceptable verses to read right about the time whenever you're not really suffering that much. And it's like, yes, Jesus, I rejoice in this life that I get to participate in with you and I'm up for whatever comes my way and then it all comes crashing down when suffering creeps around our door and they become much harder things to reconcile with. We are much less welcoming of that whenever it is our reality. The truth is we do bear Christ's sufferings. In this world, we will have trouble. But the key thing is, the really important thing is, we didn't go first. As post-resurrection people, we don't have to go first because Christ bore first. Christ bore first. Imagine the, the part of the very thing prophesied about him centuries before he would be born was that he would be a saviour who would take and would bear our pain and our suffering. He would hold it all willingly on himself, on his very body, on the cross for us, rendering an outcome that would be eternally powerful. John Colwell is a favourite theologian of mine, and he says in his book, which is called Why Have You Forsaken Me, which in preparing this talk I have realised that um, I have quite high tolerance for things that are melancholy, a little bit more higher than most people, which is why a book that's called Why Have You Forsaken Me, a personal reflection on the experience of desolation, <laughs> really appeals to me. And I'm like, yeah, Christmas reading. And most people are like, so, uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Anyway, he talks about this idea of participating in Christ's sufferings and what that means for us in our lived faith experience much more eloquently than I ever could. So, I just want to read a little section from this book. He says this to, to perceive our human suffering as a participation in Christ's suffering does not render that human suffering any less real or devastating any more than the inclusion of our suffering in Christ's suffering renders his suffering any less real or devastating. The meaningfulness of his suffering 
does not render our otherwise meaningless suffering as meaningful, but it does orientate the meaningless in the meaningful. When, like the psalmist, I cry out in forsakenness, I do not cry out alone. I cry out in him. And though my cry, like his cry, might be met with silence, under the shadow of his cry, I can know that this silence is not the end of the story. Like the psalmist, but now under the shadow of Christ's cross, I might yet come to be able to confess his faithfulness, even in the continuing silence and darkness. It orientates the meaningless in the meaningful. You need to search for a reason for the thing that you are going through. Though we will inevitably cry out again and again, why God? Because the reality is there isn't really any reason that will suffice, is there? Pain and suffering are generally empty and meaningless because it is never meant to exist. However, Christ's suffering was not empty and meaningless. It was full of meaning. And so through his suffering, he holds our suffering and takes it under the shadow of his very own cry so that a different outcome may eventually be possible. Finally, Jesus heals. Verse 5, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. I'm going to focus on two words here, the word peace and the word healed, or more accurately, that word encompasses something more to mean really something more akin to wholeness. Peace and wholeness. I am really glad that the message that we preach here which week on week is one of hopeful possibility. Not because we just need a happy ending and you know we don't want to make church very sad and all of that kind of stuff. No, it's not because of that at all. It's because the world is increasingly void of hopefulness. Grief is near to many. Suffering and struggle are a daily experience for many. Hardship is not escapable and Christmas exacerbates that rather than alleviates it. I know that I will not want to hear that hopeful story Day. That's just the reality. You may find that hard to hear today because some days are just hard. They are. But the gift of this salvation is that the promise is always there regardless. John Cornwall talks about this elsewhere in his book of a particularly moving experience he had where, in the depths of his own darkest times, he was at a friend's house and they shared communion together around the kitchen table. And he said this, it's going to come up this The bread and wine were simply there without prejudice to my lack of feeling or even my lack of faith, but solely by virtue of God's promise. In the utter darkness, in the absence of all felt presence, promise remains. Promise remains. What is that promise? 
Well, here in this passage, it is peace and it is wholeness. The Bible says so many good things about what God's peace looks like. Two that need to mention. I want to point to one place where Jesus talks about the peace that he brings. John 16 and 33, I referenced it kind of a little earlier, it says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So that in me you may have peace. That is where our peace is. Whether we like it or not, the only last Find in Jesus because every other peace is exhaustive. He is not. Christ brings us Himself and He is our peace eternally. He is our peace and He is our wholeness. Jesus heals, He makes us whole. In His suffering, He won an eternal wholeness for us that cannot be undone. Now, that does not mean that we don't suffer. It doesn't mean that the death of a loved one doesn't wreck our world, that the tendrils of depression or anxiety will never wrap around us or the ones that we love, but it does mean that these sufferings of ours don't remain isolated. Christ takes them into himself, and through him we can journey towards healing and wholeness. I think the message of Jesus coming to be with us, to dwell with us, is really just simply that we are not alone. We are not alone. And this pain and this sorrow, this silence is not the end of the story. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, and they will. But God is the strength or the rock of my heart and my portion Promise remains. Hold on to that this Christmas for yourself, for those in your family, for those around you. Promise remains. That is what we get to receive again today. This promise of Christ who has come, who is here, who knows wounds, who heals. Jesus, we receive your promise again. Let your promise remain with us. Let it rise to the surface again in our hearts. Let it take first place this promise of Christ, the promise of your presence. pray that we would know, and those that we love that we hold dear in our hearts would know that you understand every human emotion that we experience. You understand our joys and you understand ourselves. I pray that we would know that you hold our joys and you hold our sorrows. You held them in yourself. And I pray that we will bring us peace. Yeah. Bring us wholeness. Help us to receive those gifts again. Because your peace we have given it to us and left us. Amen.
balance that mind and spirit. So we receive peace, we receive wholeness.